Hello, good evening, Encounter Church. It is an honor to be with you tonight. Thank you so much for, for having me. Those of you that are here and those of you watching online, Pastor Bill says there's people across the country, so I guess there is. I don't know. Maybe even he's watching online right now. Well, good evening again. Um, my name is Rick, and I'm just so excited to be with you all tonight. If you are a regular attender, you're probably used to seeing me back over there with the bass guitar. So you're wondering, why is the bass guitarist preaching today? Why? Exactly. Right. Well, first off, let me tell you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, he can use you to do anything, right? He can use you. You just have to be willing. So be willing and see what he does in your life. Well, quickly, a little bit of background for him on me. I am the pastoral care pastor over at Shepherd of the Hills Church. We just call it Shepherd Church now. Modern, right? Over there in Porter Ranch, I guess it's that way, maybe? Okay. <laughs> pastoral care, community care is what we call it now. So I oversee all the community groups, the hospital visitation ministry, our care groups, uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, counseling. So people that come into the church, they need prayer, they need counseling. I oversee most of that. Um, I also do... Uh, benevolence, so when people come in needing assistance, needing financial help, um, just homeless people coming in, we help them out, and the church does what we can. That's my full-time job there. My part-time job, I'm also a uh, chaplain in the Navy Reserve, and I love being able to go out and bring the Word of God and share Christ with the Navy and the Marine Corps, and that's a really exciting adventure. It's much different. So this is a uh, you know, something that I don't get to do very often, being inside of a church building, a real church building with air conditioning and being comfortable and being clean, right? Usually my church service consists of me sitting on a rock maybe uh, or some boxes that are my pulpit, um, tired, dirty, sweaty. We've been out in the field or out in the desert or some very hot and, un, you know, uncomfortable place and having a service out there. So it's nice being here with you guys. So before I go in, let me just go ahead and pray one more time for you guys, if that's okay. All right. Father God, thank you so much for today. We thank you that you first loved us. We thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to resurrect to life so that our sins would forever be washed away. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us now, every person listening to this message. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use me to speak your word and your word alone that I would become less and you'd become more. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So your pastor has been going through a series on change, right? A life changed for Christ. And that consists of discipleship. Change equals discipleship. I believe that was probably the first message he gave to you on this series. Change equals grace. Change equals the Holy Spirit empowering you, right? coming upon you. And change equals you taking that authority that Christ gives to you. All these areas or all these aspects of change reflect your life and how it changes when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. So please remember that I'm not talking about um, your salvation right now. I'm talking about your life changed once you receive Christ, right? We all know that you put your faith in Christ. It's, it's His grace faith that you have, you can come to him any way that you are, right? Dirty, broken vessel, dirty rags, and you offer that to him in faith, and his love restores you, right? His life shed for you, the blood shed for you, and his life given for you changes you. And so we're talking about your life in Christ and what that means, change. When you encounter Jesus Christ, you can't help but change right? You will change. It's inevitable. Some of us will have what I like to call a Paul-type conversion. Paul, formerly known as Saul, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and that encounter with Christ radically changed him, virtually overnight, right? He was a man that was persecuting Christians. He was out there waging war against Christ himself, and then he became perhaps the greatest apostle, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary 
for Christ that the world has ever known. Maybe your life story, maybe your life change is like Paul's, right? You were once living a life of complete rebellion towards God, a life of waging war against God, against Christ. Perhaps you didn't even believe. Maybe you were an atheist. Maybe you were uh, militant against God, right? Or maybe you knew a little about him, but you were living a life that was far away from him, going in a completely different path. And then you had that encounter with Jesus Christ. And literally, for some of you, overnight, he changed you. Addictions were broken, life turned around, and you've given your life to him. And you could probably pinpoint that moment in your life, right? You may have a date, a day, a time. You know the place where you were. You know what you were wearing, right? When you gave your life to Christ. That's that radical, instantaneous change that some of you have. Others of you may have what I like to call the Peter-type conversion. So perhaps you grew up in a home where they believed in God, Maybe your parents were Christians. That's what my home was like. In fact, my parents are with us tonight. Mom and Dad, thank you for being here. Thank you. In fact, this is the Bible that they gave to me in 1991 on my 14th birthday. I still have the uh, inscription that my mom wrote to me. Happy 14th birthday. May God always bless everything you do in His name. Love, Mom and Dad. 1991, on my 14th birthday, this is, the one that, this is the Bible that I go to most often. I have dozens and dozens of Bibles in my library, but this one is all it's kind of shredded up, right? But I go to this one, it's special. My parents laid that foundation. I tell you that, perhaps if you're a parent and you have children, pour into their life, right? You never know where they're going to end up. This wasn't what I thought. I never intended or thought I would be a pastor, but parents, pour into your children's life. But at some point in your life, you need to make a decision. You need to come to a uh, conclusion. Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? And like Peter in Matthew 16, 16, he says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you may not be able to pinpoint that conversion or that change because maybe it was a process. That's how it was for me. I grew up in a home that believed in God. And so gradually, one day upon another, uh, began to make that faith, the faith that my parents gave me, I began to make that faith my own. And so maybe it wasn't a radical conversion like the Paul, or yeah, the Paul type conversion, right? But it's still a change. It's still a life change. You made a decision. You placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, tonight we're going to continue this series, and I believe it might be the end of the series, right? And so tonight we're going to look at trust. Change equals trust. A life in Christ equals trusting in Him, trusting in God. Now, you're probably all familiar with the trust game, right? So you have two people, one standing right here like this, one standing back here like this, right? And what does this person say? Just what? Fall back. I'll catch you. Trust me, right? Just trust me. Fall back. And so this person here, they may start to go back, Inevitably, they take a step, right? They take a step because they don't trust that the person's actually going to be able to catch them. They think that they might drop them, right? So why do they do that? Life preservation, taking the situation into their own hands. They just simply don't trust. My boys, I have four of them. Three of them are over there right now. One is in class. The other one didn't want to go to class today. So he's here. So I have four boys. And when I take them to the swimming pool, right, you all do this too if you have kids. You take them to the swimming pool and you put them right here at the, at the edge, right? Maybe you stand them up. Maybe you sit them down. You're in the water. And you tell them, what? Jump. Jump into me, right? Jump to me. I'll catch you. We'll learn how to swim. Do they do it? <laughs> Depends on the child, right? Depends on the child. Some may say, no, Daddy, no, I can't, I can't do it, I'm afraid, I'm going to drown, I can't do it. And I say, no, buddy, come on, you can, you can do it, I'll catch you, trust me, I'll catch you. No, Daddy, I can't, I can't do it, I'm afraid. And so they choose not to because of that, because they're afraid. They don't 
believe that I'll be able to uphold my promise that I'm going to catch them and not let them what? Sink and drown. They don't remember that my first job was a lifeguard and I was on the swim team and I've trained many children how to swim, but they don't know that. So they still say, no, no, daddy, I don't trust you. Or perhaps you have a, the stubborn child, right? The stubborn child says, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. No, come on, come on, buddy. Jump in. I'll, catch. I'll, I'll do it myself, daddy. I'll do it myself. And maybe they kind of ease into it, right? I'll put my toe in. Let me put my toe in. And then you go, no, 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 no. They back away. Why do they do that? Again, it's a lack of, of trust. Again, them wanting to control the situation, right? They're afraid. They don't trust. And you keep telling them, buddy, you got to trust me. If you do it yourself, you will drown. If you jump in by yourself or you don't let me help you, you are going to drown. You don't know how to swim. Daddy loves you. I'm their, I'm their dad. I'm not going to let them drown, right? A life in Christ is a life changed, and we must trust in our Heavenly Father. However, we behave in the same exact manner as these two examples, right? We ultimately take a step back when God says, trust me. We take a step back because we want to take our life into our own hands, right? We're life preservation, self-preservation. I, I, I'm going to do this myself. Or exactly, we think that we can do it by ourselves. Can we? No. God simply asks this question. Do you trust me? My child, do you trust me? Fall back. Let me catch you. Jump in. Let me catch you. I promise that I will. And so tonight, that's the question. For those of us, for those of you who have already put your faith in Christ, as I said, your salvation is not the question. You have eternal life. You're saved. The question is, what are you going to do with the life that God has given to you? Are you going to trust Him with it? I imagine your answer would be yes. Yes, I, I trust the Lord. I do. I do. That would be my answer. But what we say and what we do, what we think and how we act, those are two very different things sometimes. We may say the words, yes, I trust you, God. But what we do says something very, very different. And so if you look at Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Look at those highlighted words there. There's trust, right? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. No, all of your heart. All of your heart. Every aspect of who you are. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own, my own understanding. And in all your ways, not some of your ways, not with just a little part of your life, not with just this section over here, but you're not going to let God in charge of this section over here. Right? No, it says, in all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. But of course, life is hard, right? Mandy already mentioned that. It's not cotton candy clouds, I think is what she said, right? Life is hard, and we struggle. It's difficult. We go through hardships. And we find ourselves perhaps questioning God. Do I really trust you to get me out of this mess? Do I trust you? And we do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know. Things may be going great for you right now. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. Tragedies come. Bad news from the doctor. Financial ruin broken families, broken marriages. And in the midst of calamity, God still asks this simple question. Do you trust me? Again, we may say yes. We may think that we do. 
but our actions show otherwise. How? How do, the, how do our actions show that we are not so much trusting in God? So we look at the first point here. We fail to trust God when we trust in ourselves first. How often have you heard this phrase? God will never give you any more than you can handle, right? Maybe you've said that. I know I've said that in the past. God will never give you any more than you can handle. I've been to seminary, been to two seminaries. I have degrees in Bible. I've read this Bible cover to cover, and I can tell you that I have never seen that verse in the Bible. It's not there. And now you're like, wait a minute. No, no, it is, right? right? It's in there somewhere. It's not there. It's kind of a misinterpretation, uh, misinterpretation of temptation, right? God's not going to let you be tempted more than you can um, handle. But that's, very, that's a very different thing. Struggling, we're going to struggle. Let me let you in on a little secret. Everything that you go through is more than you can handle. Everything that you go through is more than you can handle. Because if it wasn't, then we wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need the Lord. If we can do this ourselves, why do we need God? It's the very fact that we can't handle it. That these things are more than we can handle. That we need a Savior. We need Jesus. Our culture will tell us, no, you can do this on your own. Culture today esteems the individual, right? It says you are important. You are special. Your mom tells you you're special. Right. You are special. No. To her. <laughs> I think to my mom, right? Yeah. Culture will say to you that you've got this. You're in control. You can handle the situation. You are strong enough. I got this. As I said, I'm a Navy Reserve chaplain, and I get to enjoy uh, going out in the field doing great adventures with uh, the Marines and the, and the sailors of the Navy. And I got to spend five years in a Marine Corps infantry battalion. That's an adventure. Never thought I'd get to do that. It's said that the deadliest weapon in the U.S. military is not so much a nuclear bomb, but it is the Marine and his rifle. That's the deadliest weapon in the military, a Marine and his rifle. Yet from the very first days of boot camp, we all learned something very, very quickly. That in order to survive, in order to get through this, I got to rely on my team. I got to rely on the people around me. I can't do this by myself. I need some help here. That's the whole point of going through basic training, is that you get broken down, you get built up function as a team. Nobody goes out alone. No operations are conducted alone. You have a team with you. The Spartans of ancient Greece were some of the fiercest warriors of the ancient world. It is said that one Spartan warrior was mightier than many, many warriors from any other nation at that time. And if you're familiar with the Battle of Thermopylae, where the 300 Spartans stood up to what is, some reports say, perhaps maybe up to a million Persian warriors. Persia was the ruling empire of the world at that time, and just 300 Spartans stood up to the Persian empire, and they took down some 2,000 enemies before they ultimately fell, but they were victorious in the ultimate battle. Yet each Spartan knows or knew that their strength was not dependent on their own on their self, right? On themselves. Their strength came in the line. With shield, with spear in hand, each man protected the man to his left or to his right. And so it was the strength of the team that they were able to accomplish such great victories. And yet, when we have our own life struggles, we revert back and say, nah, I can do this by myself. I don't need help. I can do this by myself. Again, we become that little child in the swimming pool. I'll do it myself, Daddy. I got this. But God gently reminds us, no, you need me. 
You need me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so we fail to trust God, point two, when we trust in others first. When we trust in others first. Now hear me out on this. I want to make sure you understand. I established that we can't do these things on our own and we need a team around us. So why can't we seek the support of other people? We can. We absolutely can. And we should. But the key word here is first. Trusting in others first. When we face life's struggles, we often turn to other people in our life to help us get us out of the mess that we've created. And again, hear me out. There's nothing wrong with seeking help from other people. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, when you are going through struggle, turn to your fellow Christian. Turn to your brother and sister. Come to your pastor. Share what you're going through. Share with your family. That's good. That's right. But when we trust in the power of the other person, more so than the power of Christ, that's when we get things out of balance. And we often do that in Christian circles as well. We say something like, if I can get that particular person praying, or that prayer warrior over there, they got a direct connection. They got the, the bat phone to God. Right? They just pick it up, they, he answers, and the prayer is going to be answered right then and there. And so what happens is that we can trust in that person more so than trusting in the Lord. Again, please understand there's nothing wrong with going to people in prayer. Do that. Please do that. Go to those prayer warriors. Bring it to your elders. Bring it to your pastor. But understand that we're just people too. Right? You have to trust in the Lord. The power is in Him. Right? It's not in me. And yet God simply says, do you trust me first? Do you trust me first? We go to Him. There's many times where I, when I'm doing a counseling at the church, someone comes in and they say, man, I've, I've tried everything else and I'm here now and I'm going to give God, this is, my, this, is my, this is my last opportunity. This is my last, my last line right here. I'm going I'm to come to God. Well, okay, I'm glad you're here. That's good. That's great. But why wasn't you your first choice? Why didn't you come to Him first? Maybe you wouldn't have been in this, this mess to begin with if you went to Him first. That people tend to go to him last, right? Seeking the help of other people, misguided trust. Trust in him first. We fail to trust God, number three, when we feel unworthy. Have you ever said to yourself, God cannot possibly hear my prayers? I've sinned too much. I'm unworthy. He won't help me. I'm too dirty. I'm too disgusting. I'm a sinner. He won't possibly listen to me. When we face life troubles, it is a good time to take a self-inventory of what may be going on in your life. Perhaps there is some sin that you need to be in repentance of. And a lot of times our sin gets us into deep trouble. We can really get into some mess because of our sins. But I want you to know that on your own, Apart from Christ, you have sinned too much. You are a filthy sinner apart from Christ. I think Pastor Bill has made this point clear that at, at one point in your life you were identified as sinner, right? I believe it was a few months ago he had a sermon on that. You were identified as a sinner. And then change comes. You accept Christ. You put your faith in Him. You're no longer identified as sinner. You're identified as saint who sometimes still happens to struggle with sin. So now that we have Christ, come to Him. Trust in Him. Because that's a lie of Satan to tell you that no, you're not worthy. When you are saved, you've been made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, who? Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us. He's our sacrifice. He is our sin sacrifice. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, you were a sinner, but now you've been made righteous before God. Saints, when you do sin, come to Him. Seek repentance and know that your Father forgives you. He loves you. And so you can come to Him. Come to Him. Hebrews 4, 16, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of God, of God's throne of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy to find grace, uh, to, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy to find grace to help us in our time of need. He wants to help you. Come to Him. With humble boldness, He wants to help you. And then look at John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that's who you are, a child of God. We've talked about children, right? My kids, you may have kids. When my kids need something, when they want something, they come and ask me. Sometimes they ask too much, right? But that's okay, I love them. I want them to come to me. I want them to talk to me. I want them to ask me. They don't need to cower in the corner like a scared little puppy because I love them. And they love me. They come, they ask. It says here that we are God's children. Don't you then think He wants to talk to you? Don't you think He wants you to bring your struggles to Him? He does. He does. And number four, when we, we fail to trust God, when we rush through the process, when we rush the process, we live in a day and age where we have great medical and technological advances. And these things are great. Diseases that were once uh, deadly years and decades ago, we can cure them. We can help. We have great treatments to even prevent diseases before they start. If we have pain, we can take a medication, take a, take a pill, and that pain can be alleviated. If we get a cut, we put a Band-Aid on it. My kids get a little scrape, they want a Band-Aid, and magically the pain goes away. Is it the Band-Aid? They think it is, right? But we have these great advances in medicine and technology. It's great. We have this wonderful thing called the Internet. If you have a question to anything, you can literally go online Check your phone, type it in, and within a few seconds and a few clicks, you have the answer to anything that you possibly want to know. may not be the right answer, but you get an answer, right? Instant access 24-7 to any type of information. It said that our smartphones, our smartphones today, have more computing power, more processing speed than all of NASA's computers combined in the year 1969, that was the year they put a man on the moon. So all of NASA's computers squished together, the computers that sent a man to the moon, in your smartphone, in your iPhone, you have more power in it right now. And this is an iPhone 5. I, I'm a, I got on a pastor's budget. This is the old one, right? Still more power in this phone than NASA had decades ago. And what does this do to us, Right? Speed. We want things done fast. We want things done quickly. If I send a text message to somebody, I send it, and you do this. Yeah, I know they got it. I know they got it because it says delivered. They're reading it right now. Why aren't they answering me? We want instant access, right? Because we're used to that nowadays. We have instant access to anything. And so we treat God the same way. We send up our prayer request. We go to bed tonight. We pray. By tomorrow morning, I want it answered. I want it answered in the exact way that I want it answered. I know you heard me, God. It says delivered. Answer my prayer right now. Because that's what we're used to. Does God work that way? Is His timing our timing? It's not. It is, is his timing perfect? It is. Ours is not. And so we rush through the crisis 
This means that we don't trust God. We say, I want it my way. And still, all the while, God says, what's the hurry? Am I not still God? Am I not still in control? Am I not still seated on my throne? Trust me. You can trust me. And so what do we do? Tragedy strikes. What happens when that tragedy comes to you, your loved one, your parent, your child? What do you do? You can turn with me to Daniel, the book of Daniel, Old Testament book, chapter 3. I'll give you a little background. The, uh, the Israelites were in captivity. The Jewish people were in captivity in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar set up this golden statue, and he wanted all of his kingdom to bow down to it. And what happens? We read in chapter 3, verse 13. These three young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they decided, no, we're not going to do that. We are not going to do that. We're followers of God. So verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you have not served the gods or worshipped the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the scissor, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready, fall down and worship the image I made, and it will be good. He's giving them a chance, right? I would say they're faced with a very severe life crisis right now. But if you do not, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing fire furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That's a very severe crisis that they have. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Take note of that. They, are, they have full confidence, full trust in their God that God is able to save them if he so chooses to. They have no doubt in their mind they can be thrown into the fire that God can save them if he so chooses to. But life doesn't go all the, always the way that we want it to go. And so they're also aware of something else. 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he doesn't do what we want him to do, what we'd like for him to do, to be saved, to not be burnt to a crisp, even if he does not do this, we will still love him, we will still serve him, not you, not your false gods. What happens? They're thrown into the fiery furnace. We know this, right? Three men go in. King Nebuchadnezzar sees four men. I believe that fourth man was probably Jesus, pre-incarnate Old Testament Jesus. If you, did you know that Jesus is all over the Old Testament? He's there. He's there. I believe that may have been him. And so they go into the furnace, and they are what? Not burnt up. Verse 28 then Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, have, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and, and have defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. What happens when you go through the crisis the way that God intends you to go through it to its full completion, to God's complete and perfect will? What happens in this case, this pagan, God, this pagan king praises God. This pagan king praises God. And you have a testimony when you walk through the fire, the trial, and you do it trusting the Lord. That's a testimony. People that you never thought would be praising God may very well, in fact, be praising God because of it. And so I give you that, my own testimony of a situation in my family that happened some time ago. A time where I felt like I was trusting God, but as I look back and think through it, 
There were many areas in which I failed. And I want you to know that when I stand here and I get, when I speak to anybody, I'm not just going through the Bible and, and, and wanting to, to share with you just some, some great words of God. These are, these are perfect, awesome words of God. But I, don't, I want to share with you things that I've experienced, right, to let you know that I'm there with you. I'm sitting out there. So when I'm talking at you, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking at myself as well, okay? In 2005, I married my wife, Leanne. I think she's probably stepped out for the moment because the baby was my crying. And I'm blessed to have her. She's a wonderful woman of God, far more than I deserve. She's a great mother, great wife. In 2009, we had our first son, Jared. Jared and his brother, Nathan, who's over there. They like to attend your, attend your children's ministry classes. So I asked them if they wanted to come and hear me preach, and Jared said, no, I want to go to class. But Nathan said he wanted to go to class, but he decided he was going to come and sit in after all. And there's his other brother, Isaac, right there. And then Andrew must be wandering around outside. That's the baby. So in 2009, we had our first son, Jared. When Jared was about six months old, we noticed he was covered in, in rash. He was getting a severe rash. And we took him in for some tests, and he had, um, we found out that he had lots of allergies. He's allergic to pretty much everything you can think of. He can only eat basically meat, fruit, and vegetables. He's good. It's a good diet, but it's difficult. So that was really hard on my wife because uh, she was nursing, and so she had to cut out all the food from her diet as well. And I can remember her saying this to me on the phone when she got the results back. I was at work. I remember exactly where I was. She said, well, he's got all these allergies, and she listed the whole thing, and it's a long list. And she said, well, you know, at least it's just allergies. And thankfully, they weren't life-threatening allergies. He didn't stop breathing or anything, but he would be in a very painful rash. So she said, it could be worse. At least it's just allergies. It could be worse. I agree. It could be worse. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We can deal with this. Well, it got worse. It got worse. At age nine months old, my son Jared had a seizure. My wife called me at work saying, something is wrong with Jared. He's unresponsive. Um, I, can't, I can't get him to do anything. He's just laying there. Now, he didn't have the convulsion type of seizures, but he had the one where you would just kind of stop and stare off. And we said life just kind of paused. He just stopped. Nothing, nothing was working for him anymore. We took him, of course, to the doctor, rushed him in different places, emergency. But by the time we got him there, he's out of it. He's fine. And they're like, well, we don't know what happened, but we'll keep a monitor on him. We'll, we'll check him out. And we prayed, and we prayed that that would be the last seizure that he would have, but it was not. He had more, and then he started to have more and more, and we would take him into the doctors, and when he was there, of course, he was always fine, right? And you take your car into the mechanic, and it's not making that noise that you heard. So we take him into the doctors, and they're like, well, he looks fine. So they were just going off of what we said. We're like, no, something's wrong. And so we started filming him, and we're like, something's wrong with him. And we prayed, and it got worse. He's now a year old. At that point, he was a year old, and it got worse. The seizures grew in frequency. He would have them now a couple times a month or a couple times a week. And now he started to move on from the just uh, frozen phase to where he was actually convulsing. He would drop to the ground. His whole body would grow extremely rigid. Uh, he, his eyes would glass over. He would roll back. His face would go completely pale. His lips would turn blue because he'd stop breathing. And this was what originally started as just a few seconds. Now it was lasting up to a minute and more. And there's nothing you can do to get him out of that. When the person's having a seizure, there's nothing you can do. You just be there with him. And the looks, the intense grimaces on his face that he had and the rigidity of his body was so painful to watch. There was nothing we could do. It was an awful feeling. That was a very difficult time for our family. And personally, I was struggling a lot. I was wrestling with God. Now, I never had a faith crisis. I never stopped believing that there was a God. I never doubted that Christ was my Savior. I never, I never did that. But I did have lots of questions for Him. I did have lots of questions for God. And in my own failure, shame, I failed. At every point, I just laid out to you. I failed to trust God. The seizures continued, 
I failed to trust God because I wanted to rush through the process. I wanted him to heal my son, and I wanted him to heal him now, in my own time. Do this today, God. I am claiming it. He's healed now. But he wasn't. Seizures continued, and they got worse. And God said, do you trust me? I thought I did. I'm praying to you. That must mean I trust you, right? Now, at two years old, the seizures were getting worse and worse and still worse. I failed to trust God because I felt unworthy of him. I felt unworthy that he would heal my son because I felt perhaps it was my fault. Maybe I have too much sin in my life, and maybe this is God punishing me. And so he's given my son epilepsy because of something I have done. I believe that. Isn't that what King David did or happened to King David, right? He sinned, and God struck down his child. And I believe that that was happening to me. I became depressed, convinced that God was punishing me. And still the seizures grew worse and worse, weekly, daily. All during this time, the doctors could not find the source of the problem because, again, he always seemed totally fine when you take him in. Nothing was going on when he'd see them. Again, just going off what we said. And we didn't want to rush to put him on medication because they didn't know what to put him on and they didn't know how much to give him. And it was all a guessing game to them. And so we kind of waited. We finally got to see a pediat pediatric neurologist at UCLA, uh, one of the teaching doctors over there. So we thought, great, this is the guy that's going to heal my son. He, he knows what to do. He's the, one of the main guys over there. So the doctor set up for him to have an, an EEG, you know, the, put the little electrodes all over your head. And they put all the electrodes on his head, and he was having seizures so frequently now that we figured that they would capture something relatively quickly. Uh, so they set up for him to have a four-hour-long test. Me and my wife were like, oh, four hours long, how are we going to contain him? He's just a baby, right? He's like, I think he was two-ish at that time, right? Um, how are we going to do this? And we did it. We went through it. He got through it, but he did not have a seizure while he was connected. That's frustrating. Thanks, God. And we continued to pray, and he continued to have seizures. More and more, worse and worse. And I failed to trust God because I started trusting in the power of other people rather than in Him. First, I went to the church. Again, this is great. Please do this. Don't misunderstand me. Your church family needs to pray for you. That's good. We brought them into a prayer group, a prayer meeting. They laid hands on Him. They anointed Him with oil. They sat there praying for over an hour or two hours over my son, anointing, praying, whole group of people, wonderful people, prayer warriors. We felt the Spirit moving, right? Good, great. Nothing wrong with what they did. They were, they were trusting God. They were trusting God. Nothing wrong with what they did. They were right. They were good. We brought out the spiritual big guns now, right? We left there. My wife and I are like, he's healed. He's going to be, this is it. That was the last seizure he's going to have. We left the church. We're good. Thank you, God. Praising God. He had more seizures. They continued. They continued. I remember getting a text from one of the, the women in the prayer group. Amazing woman of God. Amazing woman of God. She texted me. She said, we're praying for your son right now. I'm in the prayer group right now. We're praying for your son. I'm reading this, right? Praying for Jared. All is well. Trusting in, in the Lord. She was trusting in the Lord. I was trusting in, in her. I was trusting in the people praying because I thought there they had power, right? Misguided trust. I'm read, as I read through that text, trusting, they're, they're trusting in God. We're praying for your son right now. Good, great. Turn around. Boop. There he goes. A seizure. As I'm reading the text that she's praying for my son, that second he drops and has a seizure. Are you serious, God? Are you serious? God says, do you trust me first? Do you trust in me first? I was failing. So the seizures continued, and they still got worse and worse. We finally put him on some medication. We were reluctant to. We put him on medication. That didn't help. 
It made things worse on him. He went from a very talkative, active little boy to a boy that could not speak, could not feed himself. Uh, he was zombie-ish. Uh, it, it was not good. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying don't take your medication. I'm not saying that, but it was not right for him. It was not the right kind. Because they were still guessing. They didn't know. They were just giving him medication. Uh, so it was not good. God said, do you trust me? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me? So the doctors tried another EEG. This time they said, um, let's, let's do this a little bit longer because now he was having seizures every single day. And so the doctors were confident that they would capture something because they needed to see what was going on in there so they, needed to, so they could know exactly what type of seizure he's having and what medication to give him and what to do. So we said, okay, good, great. He's having seizures every single day. Let's take him in there. We'll put him into the hospital. They'll check you in. They'll set it up. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just wait it out, right? We'll wait it out. I have a, I have a little video to show you. Jesus left the children. I let children all over. Yay! Holy, holy. Okay, sing holy. Holy, holy, holy. He was happy. Yeah, he was happy. I didn't want to show you the next video. I'm not going to show you another one because he was not happy after, <laughs> after that. That was day maybe one, right? Okay, God, do your thing, God. Let him have his seizure now so we can get this recorded. Little happy boy there you saw singing praise songs. Nothing on day one. Okay. And it was just me. My wife and I decided that she was going to stay home because we had our second son at that time. Nathan, he was just born. So I was staying at the hospital. I was going to stay there with him. So it was just the two of them, him, him and I. Day two comes along. Okay, God, any second now. Any second now. No seizure. He's been having them every day now, right? Every day. Day three comes along. Surely you're going to have a seizure today, right? I've gone from praying, God, from, from prior to being in the hospital, please, no seizures. Please stop these seizures, Lord. Please stop these seizures. So now that we're in the hospital, give my son a seizure, God, so that we can get this recorded, so that the doctors can find out what's wrong, so that they can heal him. And we take care of this. Give my son a seizure now. Day four, no seizure. Now, at this point, he's not the happy little kid anymore because we were in a room probably no bigger than this half of the stage. He had the electrodes all over him. It was a cord maybe three, four feet long. I had a little box that I had to go around, and he was, by that point, screaming, crying. I had lost my nerves. It was, it was hard. It was hard. My wife, was, it was hard on her because she had to be home nursing you know, with her new baby. She couldn't see him. She couldn't be there with him. It's hard for us. Now, now the, the hospital staff is coming in. What do you want to do? Are you going to stay? Are you going to go? We're paying for this every single day, right? But okay, we'll, we'll stay a little bit longer. He's got to have one. He's got to have one. He's not, he has not at this point in his life gone a week without one, right? It's every day now. We're on day four. Day five, no seizures. Day six, no seizure. Day seven, no seizure. The hospital's like, it's, you got to go. We have no more money. You gotta, we have to go. So we go. They take the electrodes off. I'm frustrated, tired, nerves frazzled, and we just go home. We go home. We get home. We drive. You know, we get home, and not an hour goes by. He has a seizure. Are you kidding me, God? Oh, I was, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was, I think I just lost it. I just, I said, are you kidding? Are you serious? Could you not let him 
have a seizure. One hour ago, that's all you had to do. You're the creator of the universe. You put the sun in the sky, the, the, the moon, everything, everything. Could you not have done this? That's all I'm asking you. No. Do you trust me now? <laughs> How can I? How can I? I failed to trust God because I decided to take things into my own hands. At that point, again, not doubting God's existence, not doubting Christ's salvation, just doubting that he didn't want to do anything about it. Maybe he's busy. He has other people to deal with. He has greater things to worry about. So I will, I will do this myself. And in a moment of probably arrogance, I decided that I was going to cure my son. I decided that I would research everything that there is to know about epilepsy, about seizures. I obsessed about it. I sat at my computer day and night while I was at work. I would research. While I was home, I would research. I would stay up every single night because why? I'm his father. And God doesn't want to do anything. Okay. So I will. I will do it. I'm the head of the household. I'm the spiritual head of my home. It's my responsibility to take care of my children, right? So I will find a cure. Me and me alone. Who did I think I was? I know nothing about neuroscience. I know nothing about brain chemistry. I got a degree in art before I became a pastor. What am I going to do? Yet I was convinced that I would cure him, that I would do this. The more I researched, the more seizures he had. One every day, two a day, three a day, four, five, six, seven, eight seizures. You know what his record was? We were on vacation one day. Twelve seizures in one day. Every time he'd come out of a seizure, he'd, go, he'd fall asleep because of the extreme um, the, the tension, the whole body convulsing, that it would wear him out so bad that he would just collapse and fall asleep. So that entire day was a seizure, right? He woke up in the morning, he had a seizure, he fell asleep for an hour. He woke up, he had a seizure, he fell asleep for an hour, he woke up, fell asleep. Twelve seizures. That's the whole day. We were in despair. Medications are making him worse. We weaned him off the of medications. We can't do this anymore. We don't know what we're going to do. Uh, I just, uh, my son will never have a normal life. That's what I thought. And so it happened. I just gave up. I had no more energy left. And like a wrestler pinned by his opponent, subdued, I just tapped out. I tapped out. I give up. I don't know what to do anymore. My son is now, at that point, four years old. He's been having seizures since he was nine months old. Four years we were doing this, back and forth, back and forth. I was tired and I was done. My wife was tired. We, we were frustrated. It was not good. And so my final prayer went something like this. Lord, I'm tired. I've made this all about myself, and I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry, Please forgive me. Like Abraham, you have given, I, 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 like Abraham, I will give into your request to sacrifice my son as a living sacrifice to you. From this moment on, I will stop fighting against you, wanting things done my way when I want them. I will give into your will. Like the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know that you can heal my son. But even if you do not, I will love you and I will trust you. All I ask now, God, is that you show me how to care for him. Show me how to take care of him as he is. Show me and my wife how to raise him, how to provide for him. Because he is ultimately your child, you just gave him to us to care for as you gave my other children to us, to raise in your ways. I trust in you with all my heart. I give to you my son. He is yours. Help me raise him. You can have the worship team come back up. And that was, that was it. 
that was the first time in that four-year period where I actually had some peace, where I actually felt calm, where I no longer worried about it, where I accepted it, but not just accepted it like grudgingly accepted it, like, oh, fine, I'll take this. But no, I was good. I was, I was happy. I was thankful to the Lord that He had given me my son just the way He did give him to me. And at that point, the weight was lifted off. And I felt totally free. The burden that I had been carrying so long was not my burden to carry at all. It was the Lord's. And I was happy because I gave it back to Him. I said, Christ, you take it. I can't do this. And I did not look. I did not research. I did not do anything anymore other than just love the Lord and say, thank you. I trust you. Do your will, whatever your will is. And I was happy. And I was good. And I trusted. Friends, if you are going through something right now, Oh, what peace you can find when you trust Him. I don't just mean say it. I don't just mean think it. I mean with the very core of who you are. When you trust Him, you will find a peace that passes all understanding. And I can't explain it. I'm not saying that you'll never be sad again. I'm not saying that you'll never have grief. Because you will. We will. Life is hard. It's not candy what, candy clouds? Cotton candy clouds? Life is hard. And it's okay to cry. Because we need not to grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Because we do have a hope. When you encounter Jesus, you change. Will you trust Him? to carry the burden that's not yours. He never said to carry it. He wants to carry it as he carried his cross. Give it to him. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I believe that the Lord has allowed us to go through our life struggles because He loves us. Because the struggles grow us if we trust Him. If we're willing to say, not my will, your will. You do your best and I will trust you. And so I'm sure you would like to hear the rest of that of the story, right? Shall I end it there? Or tell you what happened? So let me share with you the comfort that I received so that you too may be comfort in whatever it is you are going through. I have a picture that I'd like to show you. That's my son, Jared. He's over in the children's class right now. In that picture, he's eight years old. That was taken on July 29th. 2017. He's nine now, and on July 29th, 2018, a few weeks from now, we will celebrate five years of not a single seizure. Amen. Not one, not a single seizure. Literally, the moment that I gave in to the Lord, that I said, not my will, yours, do whatever it is you want to do, and believing that he could heal, and accepting that he might not, the moment I did that, it was five years ago. They were just gone. They stopped. Not a trace. Never again. I know you have struggles. I know you have gone through struggles. I know that you will go through struggles. Life is hard, but God is good. 
I don't know what it is you may be going through. But I can tell you that God still works miracles. People get healed. However, sometimes they don't. That is our life that we have. But in your struggle, cry out to Him. I know my friend here, Mandy, and her husband, Jeremy, they're a good friend of mine, good friends of mine, they've had struggles. They've gone through some difficulties with their child. And God is good. And I know that they have trusted in the Lord. And we prayed for their daughter as they have prayed for our son years ago. And God simply says to you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more.